Thank you for that, Adam. That was a difficult passage to read through. The flood account uh, uh, is covered in four chapters, so we, we did our best to, for the sake of time to highlight the, the main thrust of the story. And the story of Noah's Ark, or, or the flood account as it's referred to, it's a very familiar story to most of us here, I'm sure. And some people, when they think of this, this flood account, they think it's kind of like just like a made-up fairy tale. It's just a myth, and it was, it was made up with the purpose of providing moral instruction. And, and the reason for that is because of the supernatural elements of the story. But we as believers should not have a problem with the supernatural elements in this story because we understand that there are times when God acts in our world in ways that are miraculous, in ways that are out of the ordinary, and he does so with the purpose of giving us greater assurance that what he has promised us, he will do. Jesus has promised that one day he will return. He will judge evil. There will be a final judgment, and he will create a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no evil, no suffering, and death. And that's what we long for as Christians living in a fallen world, the day when Jesus returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And in the flood account, we actually see God's story of redemption being played out in history, in real time with real people. We see God bringing judgment upon wickedness. We see God saving his people and bringing them safely to a new creation. The events of the flood, they provide us with a greater confidence that in the end, all of the grand promises that God has made to his people will be fulfilled. The flood account deals with the problem of evil in our world, and it shows us how God is at work to redeem the world from evil. Now, in my sermon this morning, there are three main points that I wish to highlight from this story. Number one, God sees evil. Number two, God judges evil. And number three, God saves sinners from judgment. But before I begin, I would, just, I would like to take some time to just briefly explain what comes before the flood account in Genesis chapter 6. And in doing so, this will help give us a better understanding of the story, and, and it'll help us to see how the flood account fits into the storyline of Genesis. So in the beginning, in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, we, we, we learn that sin and death and suffering were not part of the world when it was originally created. When God looked down upon the earth after creation, in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God looked and he saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the beginning, God, we're told, created man in his image to be like him. Since God is good and righteous, he made us to be like him, to reflect his righteous goodness. And he commanded man to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, to fill the earth with his glory, reflecting his righteousness throughout the world. But of course, Adam and Eve chose to rebel against this good God. They sinned, they disobeyed, 
And that's when sin and death and suffering and evil entered into God's good creation. That's referred to as the fall of man. And after the fall, man continues to multiply and fill the earth, but they are not filling the earth with God's glory. Now that sin has entered into the world, when God looks down upon the world that he had created in Genesis chapter 6, we're told that the earth was full of evil and violence. And of course, we see this too in our world. We don't have to look very far to see the evil that goes on in our world. And we live in a relatively peaceful country with a stable governments and a stable police force, all of which God uses to restrain evil. And still, there are such evils as murder and rape, child abuse, elder abuse, spousal abuse, these evils happen all over our country. Yet when you talk to people who come from countries where the restraint of stable governments has been removed, countries where the restraint of a stable police force are not there, and you hear about all just the gross, horrific acts of evil that man commits, the way that man uh, inflicts evil on one another. And when we witness or experience such evils, we're tempted to ask, where is God in all of this? Does he even care? Does he even know? So as we seek to answer these questions, the first point I would like to highlight from the flood account is God sees evil. Listen as I read Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. We see here that God is aware of all the evil that goes on in our world. It assures us that no act of cruelty or injustice goes unnoticed by God. Proverbs 15.3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. This truth destroys the idea that God exists out there somewhere, totally oblivious and unconcerned about all the evils that happen in our world. The story assures us that God doesn't just see the evil in our world, but he truly cares. We're told that when God looked down on the world, in Genesis chapter 6, and he saw all the wickedness of man and how great it was in the earth. It says, The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. When God sees people mistreating others, taking advantage of the weak and vulnerable, when God sees people destroying their lives through their own sin, his heart is filled with sorrow and anguish. Now, this might not answer all of our questions regarding evil in our world, but it assures us that God knows, he sees all the evil in our world, and he truly cares. The second point I would like to highlight from this story as it relates to the problem of evil is God judges evil. Listen as I read Genesis 6, verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, 
I will destroy them with the earth. We see here that God judged the world because it was full of evil and violence. The flood account does not portray an angry, out-of-control God taking out his rage on innocent people for no reason whatsoever. It portrays a good God who executed justice on sinful people who committed sinful acts and who had sinful hearts. We don't like to think of the idea as God as a judge. We don't like to talk about God's wrath or God's anger. And that could be because we think God is a lot like us sometimes. And we think that God's wrath, God's anger, is like our sinful anger. If we're in a bad mood and, and someone cuts in line in front of us or someone cuts us off in traffic, we just freak out inside. We want to hurt them. We want to hit them. And we think that God's anger is like that. But that is not what God's anger is like. God's anger is always righteous. In, in his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer has a, something to say about God's wrath as it relates to uh, how, how it uh, is in contrast to our sinful anger. J.I. Packer says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. God is only angry where anger is called for. All God's indignation is righteous. Would a God who took as much pleasure in evil as he did in good be a good God? Would a God who did not react adversely to evil in his world be morally perfect? Surely not. A good judge would not allow guilty criminals to go unpunished. How much more would an infinitely righteous, just, holy God allow guilty sinners to go unpunished? The flood account assures us that in the end, no act of evil will go unpunished. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So even though it seems as if people get away with evil in this life, even though it seems that people seem to prosper by committing evil in this world, it assures us, this story assures us, that in the end justice will have the last word. The judgment in Genesis chapter 6, the flood, as well as all the other judgment passages that we read in the Bible, they point forward to a greater day of judgment at Jesus' second coming. Jesus said, For as the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In Matthew 13, Jesus is speaking about his second coming, and he says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. 
The Apostle Peter, he views the flood account as a, as a foreshadowing of the final judgment. In 2 Peter chapter 3, speaking of Noah's day, Peter writes, The world that then existed was deluged with water and it perished. By that same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So as we grieve over all the evil and injustice that we experience, when we consider all the suffering that sin has brought into our world, this story assures us that God sees it, it grieves him to his heart, and he is determined to put an end to evil and bring judgment upon sinners. Now this truth can be a great source of comfort to us, but at the same time, it's actually a very scary thought. Because when we consider a just God who executed judgment on people who had sinful acts and who had sinful hearts, that's scary because God knows your heart and he knows mine. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When we think of the judgment of God, in our sin we're tempted to think, well, it's just really for the really bad sinners out there, for the, for the murderers and rapists. It's, it's very easy for us to look at all the evil that goes on out there and overlook the sin that goes on in our own hearts. When it comes to our personal sin, we, we make excuses for ourselves or we compare ourselves to others who have done worse than us as a way to make ourselves feel better. And sure, when it comes to outward acts of sin, we probably could think of others who do worse things than us, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the same sinful hearts. In Jesus' sermon, his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught that even though we may not commit the outward act of murder, we demonstrate that we have the heart of a murderer when we slander others, when we say untrue or unkind things about other people, or when we neglect to do good things for others. Jesus also taught that we might not commit the outward act of adultery, but we demonstrate that we have the heart of an adulterer when we look at someone else lustfully. And Jesus taught that judgment will come upon us because of our evil hearts, not just our outward acts. So even though we can compare ourselves to others who have done worse than us, if we're honest with ourselves, we would all have to admit that there are things that we have done that we know are wrong. And at the same time, there are good things that we know we should have done that we have neglected to do. We have all sinned. None of us has loved God with our whole heart. None of us has loved our neighbor as ourselves. And God in his holiness would be just to bring judgment upon every one of us here today. But this story does not leave us without hope. Yes, the flood demonstrates the justice of God, but it also demonstrates his grace, and it reminds us that God is merciful and forgiving. The third point I wish to highlight from this story as it relates to the judgment of God is God saves sinners from judgment. 
Listen as I read Genesis 6, verses uh, 13 and 14. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And then in chapter 7, verse 23, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. So we see here, even in the midst of this judgment, God provided a way of salvation. The ark was God's instrument of salvation. Sadly, many of the people in Noah's day did not get on the ark, and they died in the flood. The New Testament tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, so I believe they would have been warned about the coming judgment, yet they refused to believe the word of God and they rejected God's instrument of salvation, and they perished. Perhaps they, when they heard the warnings, they didn't think they were as bad as others. Maybe they started to compare themselves to others and thought, well, if judgment's coming, it's coming for that guy over there. It's not coming for me. He's worse than me. I haven't done what she's done. It's coming for her, not for me. Perhaps they came up with a God of their own imagination and deceived themselves into thinking, no God I know would ever judge the world with a flood. Whatever the reason, they rejected God's instrument of salvation. They refused to believe the word of God, and they refused to get on the ark, and they died in the flood. But Noah and his family, on the other hand, by faith, they trusted the promises of God. They entered the ark, and they were saved from the floodwaters of God's judgment. Psalm 86.5 says, For you... Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. The flood account reminds us that God is abundant in mercy. God is determined to save sinners from judgment. He provided an ark in Noah's day to save the people from the flood. And he has provided a way of salvation from the final judgment in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the creator of all things, became a real man. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He did what each one of us failed to do. He truly loved God the Father with his whole heart. He truly loved his neighbor as himself. Yet Jesus willingly went to the cross and he endured the flood of God's wrath against guilty sinners like you and me. Jesus was buried. He, he rose from the dead three days later and he promised that he would return one day. He will return one day to, to judge evil in the end and to create a new heaven and a new earth for his people a world with no suffering or sin or death. The good news of Jesus calls sinners like us to turn from our sins and turn to Jesus by faith alone and to simply trust in his perfect life, death, and resurrection in the place of sinners like us. The Bible says that God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
The Bible tells us that we have been justified by faith, and therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to chapters 8 and 9, we see that God did not just save Noah and his family from judgment, but he saved them with the purpose of bringing them to a new world. Genesis 8.1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. In verse 16, God says to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Genesis 9.1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, as well as the repetition God gave to Noah after the flood that man is created in the image of God, those are just some of the many parallels that the post-flood account has with the original creation account. So the events recorded after the flood, they actually describe the world that Noah and his family inherit as a recreation or a new creation. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3 picks up on this pattern, and he views this pattern as something that's going to be repeated at the end when God will judge the world with fire and make a new heaven and a new earth. 2 Peter 3.10 says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the believer's great hope. When Jesus returns in all his glory and sits on his throne to judge the nations, when the devil and all those who practice wickedness are cast into the lake of fire forever, when the dead in Christ will rise from the dead to live in the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity, where death and sin and evil and suffering will be no more. This is what God has promised to his people. The post-flood world in Genesis 9 points to the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. When, as the prophet Habakkuk said, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We should not view the, the, the flood account as an ancient fairy tale just uh, made up to provide moral lessons, nor should we view the flood account as a random act of history recorded for us in the Bible. In the flood account, God has acted out the story of redemption in history with real people in miraculous ways to assure us, to give us a greater confidence that in the end, 
all of the promises that God has made to his people will be fulfilled. In closing, I just I would like to mention some ways that we as believers can, uh, can apply the truths that we have learned uh, from this account as we continue to live uh, in a fallen world. So when we grieve over evil and injustice that we witness in our world, or maybe perhaps many of you have, are, are grieving evils that you've experienced personally, and whether we witness evil or experience it ourselves, when we grieve, when our heart aches because of the evil in our world, and we wonder, where is God in all of this? Think about the story. And know that God sees it all. It grieves him to his heart. And remember that there is coming a day of judgment. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we don't speak out against evil or injustice, but it frees us from harboring bitterness. It frees us from pursuing personal vengeance. And it frees us to love and to forgive those who wrong us. It frees us to, to love our enemies. And we can love and forgive those who, even that, if they don't deserve it, because in Christ, God has forgiven us when we didn't deserve it. Living in light of a future judgment, it should motivate us to share the gospel with others, warn them of the judgment to come. When Noah was told about the coming judgment, he got busy building the ark. Jesus said that he is building his church. And he has called the church to go into the world to proclaim the gospel to the nations. I'm sure it wasn't always easy for Noah to build the ark. I'm sure he could have came up with things that he thought he would have been better off doing instead of building the ark. But Noah was obedient to what God had called him to do. Now, there are plenty of opportunities for members of Heritage Baptist Church to get out into the community and, and share the gospel with others. There's uh, nursing home ministries that you can get involved in. There are missionaries that you can reach out to in Ireland and uh, Serbia and Africa. We can get involved in CareNet, Friends of Sinners. We can work with refugees that come to our community. And if you're feeling guilty that you don't really get out in the community and share the gospel as you should. If you're, you're feeling con convicted, just pray for opportunities and seek the counsel of, of, of the elders here at the church, and they will point you in, in directions where you can go to share the gospel here in Owensboro. And finally, if following Christ means that you suffer in this life and you begin to feel discouraged, just think of this story and remember that the effects of the fall are only temporary. There is a new world coming. As I was preparing uh, this message and thinking about the flood account over the, over the last few weeks, and I was praying for our brother Derek who suffers with chronic pain, and I was, I was praying for him, and I just remember thinking, God, why don't you answer our prayers? And I had these doubts that God doesn't exist. I, I thought to myself, God cannot exist because he would hear our prayers and heal our brother. And then I had to stop. I felt convicted and I recalled the story and reminded myself that God remembered Noah. He will remember our brother Derek.
For our light affliction, the Bible tells us, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So as we all suffer the effects of living in a fallen world, this story assures us that God sees it all. He cares. He is just. There is going to be a day of judgment. And this story assures us that God is gracious. He provides a way of salvation through Jesus. And he has promised those who are in Christ a new heaven and a new earth where sin and death and suffering and evil will be no more. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your, your, your justice. We thank you that you are just and one day there will be a final judgment and every evil, every sin, every act of wickedness will be judged righteously and perfectly. But we rejoice as sinners, those who rebel and sin against you, we rejoice in your mercy. We delight in your grace. You save sinners. You sent your son to die an awful, shameful death on the cross. You poured out your wrath on your son for sinners like us. We thank you for the mercy and forgiveness that's offered in the gospel. Thank you for the hope that we have, that Jesus is coming. We have a new heaven and a new world, a new earth to look forward to. We pray, Father, that you would comfort those who are suffering the effects of the fall, fill them with hope. Of course, we pray that they will have relief in this life. But if, if not, fill them with the hope that there will be relief in the world to come. Convict lost sinners here that are headed for judgment. Wake them up. Cause them to look to Jesus, to get into the ark, to get into Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.